Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. Website is www.infhorizons.com. This show focuses on helping business owners plan for their transition from their active years in their business to their golden years. And we discuss as part of their transition planning, we focus on different topics like business valuation, estate planning, tax planning, um, accounting, uh, succession planning. And every week we bring on a different expert to touch on each of these varied components. This week I have on an esteemed guest who is an expert on tax law. Her name is Priya Royal. Priya is, um, I want to take a moment to uh, introduce Priya. Uh, before I bring Priya on, a bit about Priya's background. Uh, she is an established tax law and charitable planning expert, and she has been published in the American Bar Association, Bloomberg Tax, and various trade journals, including Heritage Auctions. She's also a frequent speaker at Bar Association's national and international conferences, the U.S. Patent Office, and National Appraisal Institute, etc. Uh, she's appeared on various podcasts. And drawing from her own experience of invisibility and lack of access as an immigrant and minority woman, she co-founded a, um, an organization called Powerful Progress. It's a, non, it's a 501c3 nonprofit that channels expertise to create financial sustainability across locked out communities. She's also the vice chair of the DC Bar Steering Committees in the State Trust and Probate Law and the tax chair of the South Asian Bar Association of North America. She was named as the rising star by Super, La Super Lawyers last year. And she's the founder and managing attorney at Royal Law Firm PLCC, which is a woman powered international private client services firm. So clearly, she's, uh, she's accomplished a lot. She's uh, now a former IRS state attorney, tax attorney. Welcome to the show, Priya. Thank you, Nana. Um, that was a wonderful introduction that I have to live up to now. Yeah, um, no, you are, you are definitely um, you know, very, a very accomplished woman. And uh, I'm definitely you know, glad to, to have you on. Um, could you tell us uh, how you got started in, in you know, just a little bit of background, how you got started in uh, tax you know, planning and philanthropy? So um, as you pointed out, I'm an immigrant um, and uh, I was raised by a scientist. I essentially am more STEM inclined, but I went to law school because I have this odd sense that I could somehow improve justice. Um, but in law school, my, I was naturally driven to tax because it's sort of unlike other areas of law. It's a little bit more logic and math, mathematics based, very basic arithmetic, but it's still a little bit more than the other areas of law. So I uh, took an affinity for that. But one of the things was that I was learning um, about locked out communities, which is uh, in my own family. We were, even if you had the education, if you didn't know the right people or knew how to get into the right doors, you would not be able to build intergenerational wealth. And part of that is when I worked in larger firms in New York and New Jersey, and uh, then later on as an estate tax attorney auditing the estates of billionaires in the IRS, I sort of said it was all about 
what your network was like. It all came down to business development network. Your network taught you what you should learn, what you should excel in, what your business should look like. How do you manage your money? What do you invest in? Uh, what are the tools you need? Do you need a trust? Do our wills a thing? In certain cultures, um, speaking about postmortem and death and demise is really frowned upon. But is that really the purpose of estate planning? And one of the things I learned is that Estate planning is really about planning for life. It's not about planning about what happens after you die. And the reason I say that is one of the things that many of us lose when we build something from ground up as entrepreneurs, as business owners, or as creatives, is that once we are at a point where we are no longer following that line of business, or we are no longer creating that piece of art, or maybe it is when we pass away, or maybe when we get old. Um, transition and succession has different meanings. It may just mean that we are moving on to a different project. What happens to that legacy we built? That legacy no longer exists. How do you preserve it? Estate planning can be that very thing that you can preserve that legacy. Even if your children or your family members don't want to pick up the exact trade that you indulged in, you can create structures by which the heart of that trade will be preserved, the staff will be there, the operations will continue, and maybe three generations down, somebody can pick it up and continue it. All of that falls into estate planning, business planning, estate planning. So once I sort of came to that realization and realized I had access to a community who I could understand because I was part of that community itself, especially there are very few women tax attorneys who understand how money move and can work on the estate planning end and can understand business entrepreneurship and have lived it. Um, very And, you know, minority women tax attorney in America who understands the international play, speaks multiple languages, understands the various intercultural, interpersonal things. It's not as common as we should have it. So I thought I could provide a service in that field. I got into it. And in the meantime, as I was developing expertise in estate planning and tax law, I learned about charitable planning, private foundations, charitable trusts, even making a mere donation and getting a deduction. How do you do it? Why do you do it? And when you get to a certain amount of wealth, significant wealth, I also noticed that folks are less motivated by the tax savings they would have. Rather, they were motivated by the simple philosophy where uh, they would come in and say, we want to give to these causes that we care about, our church, our temple, whatever it was, you figure out the best way to do it. So tax planning almost comes in on the back end of something the client already wanted to do. And to really think in terms of that kind of wealth where you feel so self-assured in your own personal assets and the ability for you to support everything you care about, that requires a mindset change. That means that you have to have the legacy building and the structures in place and the foundations correctly. So I sort of wanted to integrate that idea of giving back to the community, building a community, creating financial sustainability, but also help other people who had a similar type of approach and create, with a lot of words, as I say, intergenerational wealth and locked out communities. So my firm, we support predominantly business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, and philanthropists who sort of have this, they're visionaries, 
They believe in supporting their communities, community across the board, and they want to make a change in some way. And on the nonprofit end, it is that bridging that gap because you wouldn't know to go to a lawyer. You wouldn't know to go to a law firm when you have never seen what wealth preservation looks like. Mm-hmm. Then the only thing is you read on Google that you need a living will and you don't even realize that a living will is for managing your healthcare decisions and has nothing to do with preservation of assets. So Powerful Progress was a nonprofit I co-founded with another attorney and a friend. And our mission was to educate, inform through webinars, seminars, cater towards both the established and also to folks who wouldn't have access otherwise, um, more sophisticated level of tax planning, estate planning, business incorporation, business structuring, um, credit lending, all those sort of things. Um, But also from the paid webinars that we may have for larger uh, for folks and organizations, we would use that to create financially sustainable communities. So we started projects like using NFTs as a platform to create artisan sustainability in India, creating food security by providing technological education and resources to folks in Jamaica, providing technological access and creating uh, Wi-Fi and other resources where they could build and teach use for on. Um, technology equipment, computers, et cetera, in rural parts of America. And the goal is to expand that. So, you know, we're essentially building from within. <laughs> you feed the individual, grow the community within. So you're feeding the person and teaching them how to fish, so to speak. And then you're building from within. So, and that goes both into my career and my personal life, where I just brought in estate planning and philanthropy together. So that was a very long answer for your question. No, no, that's 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 fascinating. I, I just I don't think there are too many people out there that bring such a holistic and a multifaceted background to bear. You know, in in, in terms of uh, just you know the eclectic background of tax law and and the state law and and uh, you know incorporating philanthropy and all of that. Um, now. Now you talk about you know, and the, you know, you know, one time you're sitting with a billionaire or even testifying in court as an expert witness, and then the next minute you're teaching a, like a, a regular person how to study a business or even a business owner uh, who is making you know maybe between a million and ten million a year. Um, you now what to how to you know transition or plan it put together a transition plan for your golden years. Um, how does that, you know, how does that flexibility, you know, what does some of the adjustments that you make in your style or, you know, you know, when you're dealing with these different kind of audience? Because at the end of the day, it sounds to me that you're trying to bring some of the same um, access or mindsets or um, networking capabilities that the billionaires have to regular people so they can also rise up and, you know, have a positive in- impact in your communities. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the power of networks. And uh, one of the things is that, you know, we often hear about finding the right mentor. If you don't have, if you're not in the correct room, how do you ever find yourself the right mentor? I mean, you're limited to the mentorship from the people that you have around you who are usually socioeconomically in the same place you're in for most people. <laughs> so now we're trying to bridge and get to the next step. Because of my the fortunate background and the experience I have, I've had the opportunity of representing people who are 
on one on one end of the spectrum, which is over well over a hundred million dollars in net worth, personal net worth, businesses that are extremely large. On the other end of the spectrum, I have access, and you know the the immigrant minority community in general is not on the top of the socioeconomic ladder overall. So that is a community that I already have access to. So I understand the needs of that community, and I have access to that community. But because of my expertise, I'm being retained, hired, and I'm already part of another community that I really wouldn't have, wouldn't have been in otherwise, right? So what we do is that I build a firm where through the use of carefully structured, strategically hired staff and processes, we are able to offer a tiered fee schedule where maybe most of the work is done by the people who are at the level of expertise that the client needs at the time, which means that we can scale our fees accordingly. So we are able to make ourselves affordable. Maybe that I'm not spending 90% or 95% of my time with that client who really doesn't need that level of expertise yet. They just started their business. However, what they have is they have access to me and my network. And that is what, so for example, when we had a client who had, just started a new business in a specialized industry. Um, you know, in this, uh, in this particular instance, it was in one of the performing arts industries and it needed to find the appropriate type of manager just on a whim asked, well, you're a big, you know, you have big clients. Do you know anyone? And I was able to just with a quick email, get this individual a phone call with one of the top well-known performing artists in the world who provided the mentorship and the training and everything else. And the opportunity that opened up is incredible. This goes beyond the practice of law. This is not about the legal services beyond that. The legal service is to me the easy part. You structure your business correctly from the beginning to practice, to plan for transition, your foundation has to be correct. So you can't think about succession planning without thinking about your foundation. Just because you have an idea and you want to start a business, that is the point you need to speak to an attorney. So because at that point, the attorneys, you know, an attorney is honestly thinking about it from that comprehensive view is going to ask you, what is it that you want to do with this business? Where do you see it? And do a strategic plan and model the legal planning accordingly. So I think that's how you bridge the two sides of it. Right. And given your, you know, the exposure to like, you know, international clients and just multinational institutions, it sounds to me like you could easily be in an international firm. What made you just decide to just be, because right now you're basically kind of like an international institution, just at the same, you may not have the number of staff like an international institution has, but clearly the capability is there. So what, you know, it, so it seems it, it can almost be like a David and Goliath. And I know you don't see it that way, but you are making an impact. I guess, do you feel like you make a bigger impact just being an independent uh, entity like, uh, you know, your law firm? It again goes back to the accessibility issue. If I was in an international law firm with 2,500 attorneys, would that entrepreneur who's making less than a million dollars a year who had this brilliant idea to, you know, create the best light for Zoom since you're on Zoom, uh, would that individual even approach this firm? Maybe they are 
uh, multinational. Maybe they were born in one country, they're starting this business in the U.S., and they want to sell back to their relatives back in their home country. There are international implications to this. There are tax implications. There are gift implications. There are issues with how do you structure it. The attorney they need is actually that 2,500 attorney firm. The attorney they will get to and they have in their network is the attorney down the street who has probably never seen the word international in their practice. So it's about creating accessibility. And it's also on the back end. It was also my personal journey was um, I found that folks like me were invisible in the room. The uh, traditional firms were generally trying to cater to what I call first generation wealth. Um, entrepreneurs and business owners were sort of built off from ground with nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't speak the same language. Most of them came from a position of privilege. The ones who had had the opportunity to get in the firm, they were usually very junior associates who were never put in a client-facing position. They were not able to make decisions. And the biggest component that was missing is what I call the intercultural component. The way the way a business, a family business is structured, managed, or how trust is defined in America versus even countries in Europe is very different. Even when America says its foundation comes from European countries, it's very different. When you come to, you know, Asian culture, you know, various parts of Africa, Latin America, Middle East, there is a, there is, there, you know, there are religious considerations. There are um, language, they're not barriers, but multiple language considerations. There are cultural considerations. There are, you know, whether it's a patriarchy, matriarchy, what is the tradition of the relationship? Who started the business? What was the intent? Was it mom's recipes being used to this day? You know, is that what you want to preserve? They're not necessarily, even within the United States, a rural community in the South and from Mississippi or the Carolinas is going to have a very different approach on preservation of legacy versus a New Yorker private equity firm. So mm-hmm. navigating and, you know, um, as a side note, in addition to my me being inter- international, I also married somebody from rural America. So I grew up in the city of the U.S., married somebody from rural America, came from abroad, and I had significant exposure across the board. And all I saw was... We were all similar but different, and most of the firms and most of what I'd call white-collar professionals, especially in the legal field, they cater to a very small segment of the population, that is, and the rest is severely underrepresented. And I wanted to represent that population. So it gives me more control, gives me a voice, keeps me from being invisible in the process. Hopefully, I can create visibility and uh, sustainability for communities like my own. So, Amen. Yeah. God bless you and and uh, uh, the mission that you're on. Now, in terms of tax law, it just sounded to me um, that um, tax law is almost like central. It's, it's interconnected with other pieces of, of um, law practices. So, I want to get into when does a business owner go to? So, for instance, a business owner listening, uh, they may just. Uh, be that know that hey if you need if you need to structure your entity you go to talk to like a business lawyer if you need to um if you need to do estate planning go talk to an estate planner but it seems to me that all of that tie into a tax a a tax um attorney could you like you know help us understand just 
when we go to who or what type of lawyer, or do we just, you know, is it easier or better to just go to tax attorney first and then, uh, and then kind of uh, diffuse out to different law firms? Just, just if you can educate it, that's, that, that would be great. When to go to who for what? Now, the easiest way to define what a tax attorney actually does and when they're important is that tax is integrated into literally every area of the law and every area. Of, and the easy way to mention it is tax equals money. Why do you start a business to make money? <laughs> why do you, you know, why do you open a bank account to save your money? Why do you open a bank account for your children to give them money? Every time the answer is money or there's something money, you should start with the tax attorney. The reason is we are sort of specialists in our field in that we understand where other areas come into play and we will collaborate, bring in somebody to do the, let's say the drafting or the due diligence portion of business or something like that. But if you ask, what is the structure of the business I need? It's not the structure. You're not thinking of it from a just just the business attorney standpoint. You're thinking of it from a business and tax attorney standpoint, which is, you know, you're primarily, you want to f- focus on making the most money left and having the most money left in your pocket at the end of the day when you run your business. Secondly, you want to make sure that you are not sued and you have liability protection and you have access to credit and you have access to growth and things of that. Both of those are structuring questions. So if you start with a tax attorney, tax attorney can tell you the best type of structure for tax purposes, which one is going to give you the best, um, greatest amount that you can take as an expense deduction against your income so that you have more, you pay less in taxes overall. What type of structure is best suited for growth internationally? There are some types of structures that won't allow non, um, non-citizens, non-U.S. citizens to be owners of a business. So things of that nature. And then also, you know, having employees from abroad, that's something you have to think about. Having employees dom- domestically, having employees versus independent, all of those are tax questions. <laughs> Once you have that, invariably at a fundamental structure, a firm like mine, which does private client services, we can provide the business structuring advice as well because we have to have the proficiency to be able to do that. If you're dealing dealing with a multinational corporation, let's say it's the buying or selling of a business, you're dealing with tens of thousands of documents of due diligence and an operations team and liabilities and contract drafting, which... We are familiar with the reading, but we are not necessarily going to do that because you don't want to specialize in too many things. You do what you do. That means that we'll bring in the business attorney or we will collaborate with the firm to do the business law part. But the simple answer is you always start with a tax attorney because they're able to think of it strategically in terms of compliance and in terms of all the other areas of law that are needed without trying to do it all. Because generally... Tax lawyers like being tax lawyers and that we get to dabble in everything and become experts at nothing but the tax part. And uh, accountants usually are, and they're supposed to be focused on compliance. So there are legal strategies that they won't be able to advise on or implement that a tax attorney can. So tax attorney for you know, as another example, what we do is if it's something where it is about reporting or structuring something that would honestly be more economical for an accountant to do, we will say your accountant can advise you on this, this, and this, or provide these forms or file these things because it will be more economical for the client. But we are still able to say that you can do that. 
and provide the legal strategy on the back end to say, here are the liability protections, here's the structuring, this is how you say, what is what is your plan five years from now? Or, and going to the personal assets and the personal needs of each of the business owners to make sure that they have wealth preservation and asset protection. So it's multifaceted. <laughs> That's great. So I know, um, so you, know, you mentioned accountants. So I've seen studies where consistently the accountant, the CPA in particular, tends to be the most trusted out of all the advisors. Business owners tend to go to them first. And I guess a lot of it has to do with the bookkeeping and, and taxes and stuff like that. And it, but it sounds to me like maybe the difference between, or maybe the secret that uh, you know, billionaires have that regular business owners uh, tend not to have is the fact that they tend to consult their tax attorneys first versus going to your accountant first. Could you like help you know enlighten us on on why um, you know business owners should maybe be pivoting from you know the accountant be the first person they go to, you know, and pivoting to like the tax attorney being the first person they go to. Um. So very simply, a tax attorney, for example, I can give accounting advice, but an accountant is not supposed to give legal advice. So you're, again, talking about emerging a financial advisor, the other person that a lot of people go to. I think all of these professionals, as professionals, the good ones can be trusted independently. However, if you think of it as the roles they play, an attorney has when they are speaking only with a client, they have the benefit of what we call the attorney-client privilege. It is nearly impossible to get through that privilege once it exists, which is that, so uh, let's say, you know, deep, dark secrets of the client about potential divorces or uh, distrust between family members. All of those are things that an attorney can advise on navigating that while also providing the tax structure and the accounting thing. The accountant, it's trusted because it's what I call the immediate, right? So the accountant usually does the bookkeeping, does the journal keeping, does does the financial analysis. And the reason most um, folks think that they are the most trusted is because it's a numbers game. They can see what the accountant does. You can't really see what an attorney does most of the time because you're strategists. Um, so it's not that I don't think accountants are less trustworthy. They're as trustworthy. But in terms of what you're talking about with succession planning or foundational or creating a business, something where it begins with a vision, the person who can define what that vision should look like in a tangible way, the first step is the attorney. And a good attorney will say that this is better suited for an accountant to do or a financial advisor to do or another type of attorney to do and bring in those people and build a team for the client. So it's, uh, so that's, I think that's what, that's a better way of putting it. It's just that I think folks don't really understand what an attorney does because they can't see what an attorney does where an accountant is, filling out forms and saying, here, I filled out the form 1040 or income tax return, whereas the attorney is not doing that. So right. I, I want to, I want to touch on this. So uh, philanthropy, you know, philanthropy thing, because a lot of regular business owners may not know, even know what some of the tax benefits of establishing a philanthropy is beyond just, for instance, doing good or helping your church. Um, why should business owners, especially as part of their transition planning into their golden years, or you know, transition into something else, why should they you know consider philanthropy and 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 what are some of the tax benefits of establishing philanthropy? So, depending on the size of the organization or what we are speaking about here, 
we're talking about either personal Small charitable term. planning yeah. yeah or corporate charitable planning or it might be both even even if they're small businesses there might be corporate philanthropy planning in there depending on the type of business and philanthropy basically means that you have a desire to somehow use your talent resources things that your company produces information or money for benefiting or improving communities organizations groups or causes however you may define it and vast majority of people like to implement some sort of change even if you buy the person in front of you at starbucks a cup of coffee or philanthropist so def- changing that narrative or redefining it into philanthropic planning is essentially if a company has you know if you have if you have made a million dollars at the end of the year and you decide that you want to give a certain amount to charity and next year you only make 500,000 and now you can't give the same amount to charity and it sort of fluctuates for business owners the benefit of philanthropic planning is that you can support the causes you want and you can also do the things that are philanthropic in nature for example for me i like to educate and it's a philanthropic activity to be honest so it is better to structure that activity into a philanthropic vehicle of some sort because the expenses i may incur whether it is to travel and give a talk or spend the time or spend resources or maybe i have my staff contributing to it because they want to those can all become what we call deductible expenses if it's structured properly your private foundations which are essentially what i call legacy charitable planning vehicles so if you want to build a legacy of philanthropy as a family as a corporation can have it at different levels then it has a mission to support certain certain types of charities or certain types of missions the private foundation itself can engage in the philanthropic activity and it can collect donations um it can be defined as a public charity but a private foundation is closely held you also have in uh, in asset protection or succession planning you have what you may you may have heard as charitable trust charitable remainder trust charitable lead trust and that is essentially a math game this is where tax planning comes in it's taking the things that people already do whether it is giving to your church your temple your mosque whatever it is or your school or to the you know educating girls abroad whatever the passion might be it's taking those amounts and making it sustainable for a long period of time to increase the impact to those communities as well as provide a tax benefit on your tax return so when you do it as um a charitable trust for example if you have a charitable lead trust it essentially takes the computation as you put money into a trust and then you compute the amount of the charitable deduction as based on an annuity that you give to a charity for a mm-hmm. period of, for a term of years or for a lifetime but that annuity is based on irs regulations and it essentially comes to the prevailing interest rate which for now in, in the beginning of 2022 we are in we are still somewhat in the historically low interest rate period so as you can see the annuity amount is much lower mm-hmm. the assets of the trust continue to be invested they will probably make significantly more money in turn inside that trust over the lifetime of the trust than actually gets paid out in annuity so what is left over goes to the beneficiaries usually children family members friends whoever is named non charitable uh, free and clear 
of, you know, now you don't have estate taxes, which is tax on whatever somebody is left with when they pass away on that because it is out of the estate. So that's one type of it. If I go into each type of trust, we'll probably be here for three hours. So right, right. I just want to give an example. So there are the strategies make sense. Even if you're giving a thousand dollars a year, it is a good time to speak to an attorney to say, is it time for me to start thinking about charitable planning? It may start with a conversation between the accountant and the attorney combining resources and talking about year end. Do I bundle my donations this year? Do I give from my retirement account? Do I uh, do I make a contribution? Do I leave my IRA to a charity? Do I have an IRA to begin with? Do I create the trust now? Do I have a private foundation instead? What are the administrative costs and benefits? What are the restrictions? Um, how much can I control this? How much can I control this even if I'm not involved or if I'm not managing it? So it gives you, you know, it's a lot of, lot of moving parts, but it can let you accomplish both that philanthropic intent of, change that you want to have in whatever space it might be, while at the same time doing wealth preservation, because from that simple example I gave you, significant amount of money goes to the charities that the person cares about while leaving a significant chunk tax-free for the beneficiaries. So that's that's one way of putting it. That's great. Well, thanks. Appreciate, appreciate the uh, enlightenment. What's the number one misconception that uh, business owners um, or owners in general tend to have about estate planning and uh, philanthropy? Number one misconception of first is that they believe estate planning is basically a will and it's you basically do it when you're thinking about either you're in poor health or you're aging and it's and what will happen after you pass away. And uh, that philanthropy is only for the extremely wealthy. Um, I think those are your related number ones and they're tied in together. Okay. So um, given the, the world that we live in, uh, what do you see as becoming more important in the near future in the area of estate planning and philanthropy? I think uh, we are having a rapid rise in what I'd call first-generation wealth globally, um, whether it is because of new investments in technology, cryptocurrency, Google learning, self-taught millionaires, essentially. Um, and most of them haven't done any asset preservation or asset protection. So your number one area would be most are interested in educating and building communi- communities that are informed and empowered. And that is the perfect intersection of where business planning, estate planning, succession planning, and philanthropy all come together. So estate planning is, you start with, when, on, when an entrepreneur has a business, their net worth, their life, their values are actually tied to the business for most entrepreneurs. Their business is their life. Mm-hmm. So if you think of estate planning as protecting the business, then you're starting at the right point. Protect the business, protect the person, protect their family, leave something as a legacy for the future and protect the community and you know give back. So it's, I think you're... You're, uh, when a person asks, what do I, I want to start a business, I think that's a good time to start thinking about estate planning because you already have an estate. An idea starts the estate. Ah, okay, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, what's the number one mistake that uh, owners make uh, when it comes to uh, what I, you know, 
you know, people who've been in business a while and need to start thinking about transitioning or, you know, maybe whether it's a year out or five years or 10 years out, they're transitioning into uh, golden years or retirement or what have you. What are the biggest mistakes that the number one big mistake that, that they tend to do that you've seen in the area of estate planning? Because I know you just said that ideally they should think about it, you know, from the beginning, but they may not have that, you know, benefit of having to go back and start over. So other than that, what's the, what's the other mistake that you see? Um, the first is their investment in the business. They have not invested in themselves and their family, and they've only invested in the business. And that once the business stops operating actively, um, they would not have the same revenue stream or the same resources or the same um, asset or the lifestyle that they would have enjoyed while they were running their business. <laughs> Um, so that's something that can be addressed through estate planning because it's planning for retirement, you know, having having passive income flow planning, that sort of thing. Um, the other is the asset protection, the lack of asset protection. There's usually a lot of intellectual property. And you're doing transitioning. There's been no separate entities created or any kind of valuation or a determination of what the intellectual property actually is or steps taken to protect intellectual property. For many entrepreneurs, especially in the creative fields, uh, intellectual property is usually trade secrets, which means it's not even registered with a patent or trademark office or anything like that. And they have not, they've sort of been telling all their friends and neighbors about their trade secrets. So it, it creates a problem. So having strong contracts and uh, financial analysis and valuation in place and having um, controls on how equity is transferred, how um, having creating employee incentives, preserving values, creating value-based models for the company, all of those are usually lacking in a business because most of what runs the business is still in the founder's brain. And it's not been conceptualized or put down to some sort of a transferable um, knowledge transfer machine of source or a system. So you need a knowledge management systems are lacking. That's essentially what it is. Right. Uh, what What is the mindset? Because earlier you had mentioned the you know some of the secrets or the mindset of of the, the billionaire. What's the mindset shift that you like to see in um, you know business owners um, when it comes to estate planning and philanthropy? To um, to learn to identify first of all, recognize that. One cannot be an expert or become well-versed or cannot have a can-do attitude about everything. And to be able to identify and retain and trust the experts for each thing that they need. At the end of the day, an ideal entrepreneur or a founder would have the mindset of being a manager, that you can manage the assets you have. You have to be able to identify your most valuable assets, whether they're human resources or they're you know, non uh, human resources, as technology, whether it is um, outside professionals like accountants and lawyers um, or anything else. So it's identify talent, identify resources, identify needs, and f- fulfill them so that you budget for being able to afford everything instead of starting with a mindset of, I need to be able to do legal operations, financial operations, uh, process management, strategic management, 
technology, everything, because I'm starting a business from scratch and I don't have any resources because I think you'd be surprised once you learn how much each of those resources cost at the onset because everything scales as you scale. Right. So it's get the experts at the beginning. Hire correctly, retain correctly, and set your foundation or your house will fall. Yeah. Where should people focus their efforts uh, if they want to protect their estate in the short term and long term? It, um, are you talking about for a business owner? Yeah, yeah, for a business owner. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. yeah. They, should, they should honestly focus on um, the initial part is about the knowledge management. It's like what knowledge is in the business that you want to be transferred and more importantly, how do you restrict it? Because money is tied to that. The revenues and the value of the estate is tied to what is in the business. If the business is solely your expertise, whatever is in your brain, then that business has nothing to be sold for. At the end of the day, if you try to sell that business, that business will sell for almost nothing without you in it. And if you're trying to retire, so you have to find something that lives beyond you. I don't mean in terms of a lifetime, but self-sustainability for the business, because that will build the estate. There are ways to create passive income flows and um, you know, non-controlling interests that still generate revenue and income for the business owner, even after the period of transition. So that is part of estate planning. Like how do I? Where is my money going to come from? What are the assets I seek to pre- uh, preserve? What are the assets I want to own? Do I split my IP, intellectual property, from my business that I continue to own, even though I've sold my business? I mean, those are questions to be asked, and that can be navigated successfully on each uh, entrepreneurs, depending on what they, what exactly they're engaged in. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks. How would you sum up everything that we've discussed in in our last few thoughts and and advice for the listeners? Um, I would say um, most of us have wonderful ideas, and I don't don't think there are any bad ideas. So next time you have an idea, um, at least have a consultation with an attorney who sort of knows um, what all is at play so that you realize what your risks are. Um, and do a risk management and risk assessment and budget your costs for starting up, growing and building and passing on your business. And that's estate planning and business succession together. That's great. Well, thank you very much. I encourage our our listeners to go to www.infhorizons.com slash podcast um, uh, to get more access to more resources uh, for the show. And also, you can continue the conversation on Facebook. Just uh, search for Build Value by Choice. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Priya, how can uh, people um, get a hold of you and follow your work if they need to get in contact with you? But, and any of our listeners are welcome to uh, check out our my law firm website at www.royalroyalesq. That's short form for Esquire.com. That's royalesq.com. And for the nonprofit at powerfulprogressnow.org, uh, there's a contact us form on there, and you can just send the contact us form, or you can email me at info at royalesq.com. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, and until uh, next week, bye bye.